0: Good evening everybody. As you can see, I am not Pastor Will. Uh, I am honored though to be able to share with you tonight, but one thing I definitely wanted to share with you before we even dig into our study is, oh boy is it hard to come up with a message title. (laughs) As many of you probably know, I teach the middle schoolers here, so I don't ever have to make a message title for them. I'm honestly lucky if half of the time they remember even what book of the Bible we're studying from. Let alone a title. Most of the time the answer you would get at the end of our sermon, even if we've studied something in the Old Testament, asking them what we've gone through, they would look at you blank faced and say, Jesus? (laughs) But to be honest, Pastor Will had actually asked me to speak around the end of November. And he told me Cherie would need my title by December 23rd. He gave me a date and a time (laughs) due to the holiday schedule. So I prayed, I narrowed down my topic area, and I started crafting this message. And all the while, I just kept racking my brains back and forth for a title. I thought, I've got four weeks to, to, got, to come up with one. I've got this. I didn't. <laughs> I've got three weeks. We're okay. It wasn't. I've got two weeks left. Okay, brain, time to work. It wouldn't. I've got one week left. This is where I shine. I am the atypical procrastinator when I was in high school. Nope. <laughs> Cherie ended up actually messaging me a few times during that final week as well, politely reminding me, hey there, buddy, we've uh, got a deadline here. And all the while, I had about 20 different titles in my mind, and my wife kept telling me, just keep it simple, just just do something simple. But no, I wanted to be witty. I wanted to be funny. As you can see, she was right. (laughs) Our message tonight is walking steadfast in the midst of rising temperatures. I do hope you all enjoyed as well the lesson this morning. Pastor Justin did an amazing job, and I'm not just saying that because he's my brother and our mom is probably watching online. I do like to give him a little nickname I'll share with you guys. He absolutely hates it, but I like to call him the Good Reverend Dr. Reyes, because as some of you know, he also has a PhD. (laughs) I hope as well as Jim joked this morning that you won't find me too appalling up here. (laughs) But tonight, I've decided that we're going to go through 2 Peter chapter 3. So as you guys have your Bibles in hand, please turn there. And hopefully we can make it through the whole chapter tonight. I definitely have had a few of my fellow brethren, the peanut gallery as I like to refer to them right here, already try messing with me a little bit earlier, uh, saying, wow, we're going to go through a whole chapter tonight. Well let's begin. Second Peter is an amazing book, and as we draw into chapter 3, Peter is wanting to close out his letter with an encouragement, a reminder, and an example of how we as believers should be in the latter days. Let's start reading. So, picking up in verse 1, it tells us, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle. In both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I really like here that the first thing that Peter writes in this chapter is a word that lets us know. That this is a reminder. If you're like me, you might need reminders in your life. You might set them for yourself on your phone or on your smart device to, let's say, feed the dog. Or a reminder about that doctor's visit or hair appointment that's coming up next Tuesday. But what Peter wants us to remind, or sorry, what Peter wants to remind us of is the things that have been spoken before now in Scripture. Some of us may question why we need reminding about some things, I usually, in speaking about myself mainly, lean on the time-tested tradition and proven standard that, well, we're kind of dumb, and we need reminding of things because we easily forget. But Peter wants to do more than just remind us. He wants to stir up in us something. He wants that reminder to act as a catalyst that fire in our hearts and our minds it's always made me picture that image of a dying kindling fire that campfire that some of us might like to gather around at times and when we take that stick and you poke at it and you stir those embers up and you re-quench that fire a little bit that is what it means to stir us up in this exact manner But why though? Why is it that he wants to remind us and stir us up? If you're anything like me, you might have asked that question plenty of times when you were younger. I was definitely that child that always needed to know why. It's not that I wouldn't do the thing that was asked of me. I just needed to know why. And Peter gives us that answer. says, knowing first that scoffers will come in the last days. To us, it should never be a surprise that the world will continue on as the world is, since this is known that, as he says, first again, as I said, should count as no surprise to us. In some of my studying and note-taking, I came across a section from Pastor David Guzik. I loved what he had to say, so I did copy it down. Hope you guys don't mind. He did say this. He said, in a sense, those last days that Peter is referring to here began even at the ascension of Christ into heaven. Since then we have reached the, or since then we haven't reached the preface, sorry, the precipice of the end of all things, but simply we have run alongside that edge, ready to go at any time, according to the Lord's good pleasure. So, we have scoffers, and we have the last days, but what else do we have here? Will we see that the world will continue as walking in its own lusts, and as we know, if we look around our world today, we can definitely see that. If any of us looked out our window or at our daily lives, we can definitely see that things tend to progressively get worse. Not to be a pessimist, I do pray for revival amongst the nations, but I also do have a little bit of realism there of what the, world, what the Word tells us will become of the world. It is to only get worse. Things don't get better. (laughs) And what do we see in the midst of that as well? Well, we hear of this voice that the scoffers cry out with. They're saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have passed away, well, everything still keeps turning. Obviously paraphrasing there a little bit, but the gist is the same. Nothing has changed. Isn't Jesus supposed to be returning? That is the question that is posed. I can say in my lifetime, I've never heard that question posed to me in that way. I've heard different voices of scoffers saying different things. That there is no way that the Lord could return, or if he ever did return, it would be to take us foolish Christians back because, well, we need to get a scolding because we didn't get it right. or even scoffers who count this word to mean nothing. That the world will go on as it does, and the end of all things will be when the sun blows up or we blow ourselves up in return. We know the answer, though, to the question of isn't Jesus supposed to be returning? It is a resounding yes. Our Lord will come back with trumpet sound And his promise is sure for us. As Peter continues to point out, it is these same scoffers that willfully forget. I've always been fascinated by that kind of mindset and that phrasing. To willfully forget something. Another term I've heard used about this is motivated forgetting. They deliberately block out what they've seen and heard the Lord do. For all of creation speaks of His majesty. It is these same people, as Peter points out, that forget how the world was formed and how it has been changed. We know for a fact that the earth hasn't always been this way, it was different from when it was first created. It has been different and made different again since the flood. We, ourselves, have definitely made the world different in our own liking. We have built buildings. We built a theme park in a swamp. (laughs) And yet, why should it come as a surprise that the Lord would change the world again? That is one of the things they scoff at. They scoffed that the world would be changed yet again by our Lord. Not by water this time, but by fire. It was by God's word that the world was formed to begin with. It was by His word that the world was changed. And it is by His word yet again that things shall come to an end and the world will be changed again. The same word of God that created all things has stood true since the beginning. So Peter gives us another reminder, though. Do not forget that God does not operate in the same boundaries of time that we hold to. I refer to verse 8. Beloved, do not forget this one thing that the Lord, to the Lord that one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. I hate to be the bearer of bad news here. This is not some prophetic formula. I do apologize if anybody is under that assumption that is incorrect. What Peter is sharing with us is the same idea and principles that the psalmist did. We see time in one way. And only one way. But God operates in all of time. I've always liked how Spurgeon wrote on this matter, For God is the great I am. He is the I am in the present, the I am in the past, and the I am in the future. He is always, he is everywhere, and in time. Sorry, I misplaced myself. He is everywhere in space, and he is everywhere in time. But what is important here? is the principle that Peter sets for us, not just about space and time, but that it is no matter the time frame for us or time frame that we think God should operate in, the time frame that he does operate in, God's promise in the midst of that is not slack. The truth is that God will keep his promise no matter what delay that we might think there has been or will be, It is all in his timing. And it is all for his purpose. As Peter reveals for us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And as we heard from that good reverend doctor this morning, it's that love for us that God has. There's not laziness or apathy on fulfilling his promise, but love. So, Now that we've tackled the introduction, let's dig in a little bit more into this reminder. Peter continues to write for us, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all things will be dissolved... What is it that we are reminded for? What is the promise that God is not slack in? This is the day of the Lord. Many of us are familiar with this as we have just recently gone through Revelation on Sundays. And we're all particularly accustomed to the fact that we don't know, as Peter points out, the day or the hour. But rather, like a thief who sneaks in, that is how the Lord will return. Anyone who says they know the exact time or date is probably wrong. It is not February 14th, 2016 or New Year's Eve, 1989. It's a Ghostbusters reference in case you guys didn't know that one, sorry. <laughs> it is also not any other ones that have been prophesied in the past by men and women before us. God knows the time, and only He knows the time in which He will return and call us back. But He has given us plenty of signs and things to look out for. And as we will study next Sunday morning, we'll get to hear an update on some of those things. But the important thing here is that He is coming. There is a promise and a guarantee to that, and when it comes, it will be unlike anything we have ever seen or heard, a great noise and fervent heat. For most of us, we go, well, that sounds like a typical day here in Florida, especially here in Orlando. There's always some great noise going on, right? How many of you guys have seen the construction on the Super I-4, right? It's still called the Super I-4, I believe. It's always noisy over there. It's always noisy where I work, over at the theme parks. And it's always hot, guaranteed. Even if it's cold in the morning, by the afternoon you're taking off your sweater and those extra layers that you put on. There's always some, as I said, great noise and As I did point out, since we are the planet closest to the sun, being in Florida, we definitely know what that fervent heat feels like. I know here as well, Pastor Tom has been referred to as the big book of useless knowledge. But for some of you guys, I also share in that same passion. If you were to ask my lovely wife or some of my family members, they would tell you probably the same thing. My abundance of knowledge and things that will never serve any purpose in anybody's lives is pretty staggering. (laughs) So, naturally, when I hear about elements and fervent heat and melting and dissolving, my thinking cap jumps on. My wedding band here, for instance, is made of tungsten, it's a pretty strong metal. I looked it up. Its melting point is 3,418 degrees Celsius. Yes, Celsius for the science people in the room. And naturally, not being a scientist myself, I enlisted some help from Justin. (laughs) And we did some studying we had some discussion over elements and what their melting points is and what it would realistically take to completely dissolve or the scientific term to plasmafy it into nothing we would need to reach temperatures for this tungsten band somewhere between 18,000 to 28,000 degrees celsius this is a drastic temperature higher than 3,418 just to start melting it. That is definitely not your typical day in Florida for most of us. And yet, that is the kind of white hot fire that is reserved for the world. To completely melt or dissolve away these elements I'm thankful that we don't have to experience that. So therefore, then, Peter asks us what manner of persons ought we to be? Knowing these things, what manner of persons ought we to be? It is a question that we could spend days on end asking ourselves. Peter gives us a little bit of the answer. He tells us in holy conduct and godliness. That is how we are to conduct ourselves, knowing that temperatures will rise to this degree. We walk in holiness and godliness. We do so actively looking and being prepared and also even hastening his coming. I will not stand up here and say that I fully understand that concept of hastening the Lord coming. I don't, but Peter tells us that our lives and the things that we do in serving the Lord do so. We do also know that in Romans 11 it tells us that God's focus on Israel will resume when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I've heard it phrased this way as well, by sharing God's word, With those around us, who is to say that you will not convert that last person who is to come to the Lord before Jesus' return? In the same manner, I've also heard the joke saying, you can definitely tell who that last Christian is that will come to know the Lord in heaven. Do you know how? They'll be the one covered in bruises. We also do know that we can hasten the Lord's actions through prayer. In Daniel 9, it tells us, as he did, we are encouraged to make the same type of prayer. Daniel made prayers that the fulfillment of prophecy would be speedy and whole. And as I said, we are encouraged to make a similar type of prayer from Revelation, even so... Come, Lord Jesus. Yet why again? What is the purpose of hastening his coming? Well, as we know, a new heaven and a new earth awaits us. In this new heaven and new earth, it is where righteousness dwells. And I know for a fact that we are all looking forward to that. That wonderful promise of being with our Lord and Savior for all eternity. Let's continue reading and see what else Peter has to share with us then. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the rest of the scriptures. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. I did it. I did it. (laughs) Therefore, I always love this word. I've always heard it taught by many different pastors when we see it. It is there for a reason and we are to figure out what it is there for. In light of the promise and what is to surely come, beloved, brothers and sisters, as we look forward to these things, that promise, we are to be diligent to be found by him constant in effort and action to accomplish something. What is that something? As we said, that something is to be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. Peace and without spot and blameless. It seems like an impossible feat, right? At least for most days for myself, I can definitely say, I'm not always peaceful. I'm not always without spot and blameless. If somebody were to peer into my life, they could probably point out 50 things that I've done just in the morning time. But as Justin shared with us this morning, it is impossible. It's impossible for us, but not by him. By him and through him, that is how we can accomplish this when we continue to walk steadfast. As Peter also tells us, we are to be aware that the Lord's long-suffering is salvation. As we said before, the Lord is not willing that anyone should perish. We all know the most famous Verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is why he had died for us all. And as James shares for us in James five, the patient or sorry, the farmer patiently waits for the fruit of the harvest, so the same for the Lord's long suffering with the world. Peter continues and he shares and touches on a little bit of what Paul the Apostle has shared, that it is the same message. In all of his letters, Paul has taught the same things as what Peter is sharing with us now. He points out that with Paul, though, some people find it hard to understand the meaning. That could be true. I always like to remind anybody who tells me that they don't understand their word or the scripture that this entire book has been graded and it is written at a fifth grade reading level. If you can read as a fifth grader reads, which for some of us, Harry Potter, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, those are fifth grade reading levels. We can read this and we can understand it. But there's a greater destruction, there's a greater thing that has come with some of Paul's teachings that Peter wants us to be wary of, and it's not in Paul's teachings, it is what people have done with his teachings. It was something that those who were, as Peter says, were untaught and unstable, they would use the words, the scriptures, and they would twist it to their own devices, but we are not to be as so. Peter reminds us here that scripture is something that can be twisted as well. I remember the best lesson I ever had on this. My former pastor, Jim Coy, gave some of us younger guys an assignment one week as we were trying to grow and just study and do some discipleship. And he told us, he said he wanted us to prepare and look up scriptures about God's love for us and come prepped to share at least one or two of them from any of the areas that we found. For some of us, we all thought it was something that was kind of cool. It would be something to help us out, find areas of Scripture, prepare discussion points, You know, share exactly with what we've read and how we can apply it. But it was something even greater than that. When we all came to talk... He told us each that as we would be sharing, he would have a counter-argument and he would be using his Bible and show us how God actually hated us and didn't love us. You can imagine our surprise. The true point of the exercise was that people can and will take these words and twist them dramatically and deliberately so. Always remember that just because someone can quote the Bible to you doesn't mean that they are teaching or speaking a biblical truth. That is exactly why Paul in his wisdom told believers to be like the Bereans. They were those who searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Acts 17. The sad reality, too, of twisting the Scripture to our own devices, it only leads to that twister's destruction. And Peter makes that clear abundantly so. When we consider the world today, we also see that. Paul wrote to Timothy, for there will come a time in the latter days that men who will have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, Because of their itching ears, they will be turned aside to fables rather than the truth. The reality of it is to be that teacher and say that they would be turned aside to fables, it would be using some sort of biblical point. Like, well, anybody can get to heaven, which is true to a degree. But they twist it even further saying, Anybody, anytime, anywhere can get to heaven. I've heard preachers, I don't really want to say the term pastor, speakers, teach that somebody can pray themselves out of hell. I've heard teachers say that God's grace is not abundant enough for all of mankind Which is untrue. I've heard teachers say that this book is kinda more like a guideline. That it's not really God's word. His heart is what's kinda emphasized towards us through the gospels, but there's plenty of ways to get to heaven. We know what Jesus said about that. The road is narrow. And few are those that walk it. Man, I blew through this. (laughs) I have written on here, the next point is in conclusion, which also does usually mean we're going to talk for about ten more minutes, so we're good. (laughs) So in conclusion, you therefore... We, therefore, here at Calvary Chapel, Orlando, since you know beforehand, as Peter says, beware, be watchful, lest you all fall from your own steadfast. We who indeed do know of what is to come, we are to be grounded, immovable in the Lord. That is what steadfast means. To be immovable. We must take great care to keep abiding in the Lord. We, as Peter commends us, are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. I love another quote that I have from Charles Spurgeon. He was a man much, much wiser than I was, than I am, sorry, in his entire life. So in order that we might know how to stand and to be preserved from falling, he, that is Peter, gave us this direction: Grow in grace, for the way to stand is to grow. The way to be steadfast is to go forward. There is no standing except by progression. Growing in grace is something that is essential for us. I've heard it shared before that grace is what helps us grow in our walks and to stay steadfast. Grace, we know, is something we can never outgrow from God. It is something he pours out upon us and for us. And it is also something that we can never truly grow apart from either. We also, though, must grow in knowledge of our Lord. It is something that I have stressed to many people time and time again. It does not mean knowing more necessarily just about him through our word and study. Yes, it entails all of that, but more, it entails our personal walks as well. Just as we have a knowledge of the intricacies of our loved ones, we are to have the same knowledge of Jesus in our relationship with him. When we grow in these two things, it definitely becomes a lot easier to remain steadfast. Peter tells us as well, we are though, Wary because we also know that none of us are too learned or witty or wise enough to not get things wrong from time to time. We can and should or sorry, we should never hold ourselves to a degree that thinks that we cannot be carried away in the same errors of the wicked. Justin shared a little bit this morning. In his 10 years in serving with the youth, he has seen some who have walked with the Lord and walked away. sad reality is, if any of us have spent any time in our relationship with the Lord, we can probably think of at least one person that we have poured into, taught, discipled who had a fire at one point or some sort of desire yet let it die away and were carried away in error. We're no greater than them. We can fall into the same error if we are not steadfast. So, I implore you, walk steadfast, no matter the temperature of the outside world. And as Peter ends his letter, we can all end this, this night. To him, be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. As we close in prayer, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. It'll be our little secret that we ended about 15 minutes early tonight. (laughs) Let's seek the Lord. Father, we thank you for this evening, for your word. Lord, we pray that as we have studied through it, Lord, that you would just continue to mold us and shape us in your ways that you would continue to bless us and guide us, Father, that we might seek more of you, that we might grow in grace and knowledge of you, Lord, that we might walk ever the more steadfast in this world. Knowing what is to come, Lord, knowing that the end of times is near. It could happen in the blink of an eye, Father. We pray that we would serve you with our lives that we would walk in your ways we'd be touched and blessed by you and grown to be more like you and pray all this in Jesus name Amen